Hey, everybody. Welcome to Art Tells a Story, Let It Tell Yours. Uh, I'm Matt Swift. I'm a local multimedia artist, uh, educator, curator, and the co-founder for the Columbus Moving Image Art Review. Uh, I've done the last two interviews on the show here, and this is my third and final uh, interview here in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I'm very excited about the talk today. It's going to be a lot of fun. So first, I want to give a quick shout out to the Reese brothers, Jim and Michael, and their support of the arts. It is just amazing. If you watch the two other shows, I've already kind of fan, fan crushed over them a little bit. But it's like their support of artists in this town is amazing. And being able to support this show is, is just this is an amazing thing to have at this time. Uh, and then also, you know, I, of course, have to thank my own partner in crime, Nikki Swift. She's the one that's been run. She's the wizard of Oz behind the show, behind the curtain, making all of this happen, um, which is pretty amazing. Most of the time she's running this all without me. Like, I, you know, I, I've got a nine to five, so I'm usually not even here. Uh, so it's pretty amazing that she's pulling off this entire production pretty much single handedly. Uh, so today. You know, I'm very excited. Uh, I'm going to be speaking to like one of my favorite younger uh, creatives, uh, which I've had the luxury of see, you know, kind of grow uh, into their own right uh, through their undergraduate career at Columbus College of Art and Design and also the Ohio State University, uh, working on a series of productions, photo series, all kinds of all kinds of very interesting stuff, uh, even writing. Um, and so, you know, one thing is we were supposed to have two guests today that, you know, they had worked together and shared some stuff. And unfortunately, uh, Janelle Mormon is the one guest that won't be on today. She had a last minute emergency. And of course, it's live TV. You got to be, be there, be square, right? Uh, so um, so she won't be with us today. But I'm very excited. Hesitation, dot, 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 uh, to introduce Jay Garnes. So welcome. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. good. So, um you know, I want to I want to start out with something very simple. So we're you know this is the Columbus Moving Image Art Review that we're here talking about today. We have some other stuff we'll get into because of our background and and the way that I've worked with you in the past. And um, you know, a first little question I want to put out there is: Do you remember um, which CMAR or like the year that you um, had first participated or attended? The first year I'd participated was that would it be 2016? Pretty close. Yeah, that's okay. when you submitted. So yeah, so it would have been it's it's CMR 29, January 2017. Okay. Um, and it was with your piece, you know, this in this in my time is the danger. Um, right. and coincidentally, like Janelle, like that it was the first time she had participated as well. Right. Piece, Why do I hate myself? So, right. uh, we're, you know, and I just got to give a quick shout out real quick, you know, with Janelle, like she has this whole watching her grow from that piece. That was this exploration documentary, exploration, experimentation of self-portrait and, and depression and understanding what that's like and how we talk to ourselves and how do we get out of that cycle um, it was just amazing. And now to the point where now she's now having that conversation with mm -hmm. others about others to bring awareness to different causes because of it. And that, that's just an amazing thing to see. And I know that you witnessed that as well. Right. And so, growing in her art, she grew in her activism. And it's a really beautiful thing to watch happen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So again, with your though, I mean, that was, uh, everybody was very excited. I remember Phil Garrett was like, yo, Matt, you got to see this piece. <laughs> Uh, you think you said Sima, and I was like, "Yeah, uh, I'm gonna, yeah, we're gonna show this piece, Sima. <laughs> this is amazing. I'm really excited about this piece. It's really, really well put together, young perspective, but with some already thinking of using references from literature and other kinds of stuff, and bring updating thoughts about society. So, um, can you maybe just, you know, since I brought it up, can you tell me a little bit about that piece, if you can? Yeah. Um, so that piece came as like, it originally like started as an assignment for um, Phil Garrett's intro to film class at CCAD then. And um, so people were like supposed to, we were supposed to like look back at like uh, past literature, film or quotes or speeches, anything just to like get inspiration. And we didn't have to like include the text directly, I don't believe. Um, but I knew like instantly whenever the assignment was given to me that I wanted to use this particular 
quote from East of Eden by John Steinbeck, because it's always been this like, um, whenever I was like first reading his literature, it was just one of those like beautifully poetic pieces that was so nightmarish still and encapsulated so much. And I felt like it was so relevant to like embarrassingly like relevant really to modern time, despite it being written so long ago. And so it was very much about um, the dangers and um, changes in how we treat one another and in how we treat society as a whole and how we're grouped together as individuals. Um, and uh, I just really thought there was a, I don't know, kind of a dystopian feel to it. Um, but even more so, I think now it's even more relevant because then in like 2016, it was like a dystopian future that you were like thinking could happen and now it's like kind of a dystopian present and so um I think that in a way it's like uh I don't know it I don't I think it means more to me now even so than it did then because it it I don't know kind of I don't want to say foretold things but it still is relevant and I I wish it wasn't but it is so yes I I completely agree it's amazing how in three or four years, like we really didn't change that much. So CG Ryan from our show last week, she's helping some people with a get out the vote uh, show that's happening in coordination with the Vanderelli room mm -hmm. in a few weeks. And she had asked if I'd had any material that I might want to submit to that. And me and Nikki were like, Oh man, we got like a week and a half. Like, what are we going to do? And I, I happened to look back and like basically November of 2016, right after the, like during and after the election, I had made like six or seven small little vignettes about the time. And it was all these protests, um, all this other activism that was happening. And I made all these little, and I was like, this doesn't look like 2016. This actually looks like today. Right. I think that it's interesting the way that that time of like 2014 to 2016 kind of really like, uh, mirrors now because like you had in 2014 to 2016 you had like uh the black lives matter movement first really taking off and like for a while it felt like people weren't talking about it as much like people had just kind of used it as a trend and like now it's back full force again and we're having those conversations and protests are doing more than i would have ever really like i don't know i'm it's dismal but it's hopeful at the same time because like i don't remember seeing anything quite like this i don't feel like things can ever be the same so it's like um similar to where we were four five six years ago but it's um it's it's still different in a tone of I think people have finally had had enough and they're angry and they've had more than enough and they're not dying down at all and I think it's very um I don't know it's very hard not to call back to those times I agree I agree it's basically louder mm -hmm. and necessarily so um, right when so i just for me i'm i try to be an optimist when i look out to society and it's actually the reason i make the kind of work that you see behind me this kind of stuff i make other stuff but this is my like go-to th this is my therapy work this is yeah. my i want to make something pretty about the world that i see uh mm -hmm. something meditative something peaceful because i know that that's not a reality that gets made very like a an experience that gets made very often and I want to do it for myself because I want to try to be optimistic about what's out there and mm. so it's hard to look back at that and go man like I really had hoped like there was like a year I think where things had kind of like kind of fizzled a little bit things weren't quite as loud and then all of a sudden it's like boom right and it's necessary it, it is. I, I feel like I had been predicted. Like we were, we were all predicting it. We we're like, man, something's gonna shake. Something's gonna break. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. just like I feel like for some people, like the 2016 like election. Um, for people very much on the opposite side of the spectrum as myself, <laughs> um, I feel like it was very much uh, a culminating point of like a boiling point where they had seen too much diversity and too much change. And so they definitely tried to attempt regression. And now I feel like that's kind of the opposite side of us right now is we just have reached that boiling point of too much institutionalized decade after decade of fighting the same fight. And 
I don't think people are going to come in from the streets until people are treated better. Um, yeah. I agree. I agree. And especially with everything that's been going on in the last few days. I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, when is it, when is it going to be time that, that mm-hmm. we don't have we that we don't have to worry about this stuff anymore and when, when we can get past it when we can actually just say look humans are humans like right and we don't we don't have to worry about how we walk around how we see the world how we project ourselves how we have to worry about our own confidence within a space right or or not like come on right. it is time it was time a long time ago why why are we mm-hmm. so I wish I could be out there with COVID. It, it's, it's tough. Like if, if it weren't for COVID and I have some respiratory issues and stuff, like right. I would be, I would be out there with cameras documenting, posting like I was in 2016, but, that, right. but it's hard now. I mean, that takes me to question. I mean, we showed you, we talked about a little bit of the piece that you had submitted back then. Um, you know what, so what kind of stuff are you doing now? Like with COVID and I know that you're still completing your, your final bit of, of school now at OSU. Right. So um, right now I'm working on that final bit of uh, what I need to graduate and then um, working on thesis work, my research thesis. And then um, I've been working on, um, I've been doing a lot more like um, just kind of like kind of random surrealist uh, little doodles that I've been making just to try to like, uh, like little comic strips to try to, um, cope with my thoughts and the times um and then because I find if you put anything in a speech bubble then you can say that you didn't say it the person you drew did so it makes it a little bit easier to manage sometimes and um then uh I've been working a lot more in um trying to work with like found footage type things so looking at like archival stuff and making pieces that I feel like um kind of can help me in a therapeutic way that is maybe I don't know, um, counterproductive because it's looking at a lot of, um, I've been talking to a lot of people my age dealing with like, uh, coronavirus right now. And we've been talking about how a lot of us like being, um, zillennials, um, our first memory is like Columbine or 9-11 and like all of our memories are of like living a lifetime of war and dealing with, um, being a part of a perpetration of imperialism and, um, police violence and videos of people being murdered and like just having those memories. So right now I've been working on a piece of looking up found footage um, that chronicalizes those first memories that I have through like news um, pieces, like newsreels of um, my first kind of memories in my formative years. Um, so I'm working on that right now. And then I've also been working a lot with um, the first thing that I ever really loved about film and filmmaking was uh, practical effects and uh, special effects. Um, I came from a line of like my grandma used to do theater makeup and then my dad did theater makeup and they taught me. So that's been a thing I've always loved and like um, not being able to like really go out and see people. Um, I can always use myself as a model for those types of things. So I've been doing lots of like different makeup design and stuff like that. So, yeah. That's cool. Like if people have it, like, you know, uh, hopefully we get a link in to, to see her Instagram, her and Janelle's Instagram, where they take some photos and post some stuff. I love, I love seeing the, the different, like crazy surrealist. Yeah. <laughs> with you in the middle of them that you come up with yeah. lights and things hanging in places and shooting through mirrors and like all this different stuff, crazy stuff. Right. It's, I love seeing that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad. Um, Janelle and I, we used to do this thing where we would just be like bored on a Sunday and we would um, like get out all of the string lights that we had or like all of the mirrors that we had. And we'd just like shoot random things on like our phones. We went to Walmart one time and bought a bunch of disposable film cameras. (laughs) And like, we would just make a day out of like, we're bored. Let's just do photo shoots. And a lot of times we got like duds out of it, but a lot of times we got really fun stuff. Like um, the other day, her and I were talking about last year at this time, we had gone to um, Mark's and we were looking through their Halloween stuff and they had this DVD that was like 
supposed to be like special effects for trick-or-treat and like Halloween and it was just these people that were floating heads and they were like making really bad puns about trick-or-treat but there was a special feature on the DVD that taught you how to shoot floating heads so we painted our faces like skeletons and we were just like floating heads for that day and we like took all of these photos and videos with it and we were talking about how we need to do something like that again so yeah we would come up with weird prompts for ourselves that's for sure that's always a lot of fun. I mean, you find you learn a lot of, of stuff when you, when you just want to play, when you just have mm-hmm. fun and play. I remember my, our very first green screen that we had done. Uh, well, I had done. We bought some fabric at Joanne Fabrics, and we had this thing, this background thing we bought for backgrounds just recently. And it was going to be, most people don't know, me and Nikki have been married for like 20, almost 21 years now. But the first nine years, we didn't spend hardly any time apart. No overnighters, no nothing. And then I graduated from my master's and I had to go do an interview elsewhere. It was right around the time of our anniversary. And so I was like, when she was out of the house one day doing something, I set up this green screen in the front room all by myself and then stood in front of it. And did just like did different like waving and like heart pounding and like blowing kisses, like really goofy, really yeah. goofy stuff. And then I went in and I got, uh, I made like a little message in the video software that's like, hello, hey, happy anniversary. I love you, all this stuff. And uh, I had our song playing and the message is there. But then a few seconds in, suddenly like I come out the side of the screen sideways, kind of like, hello. <laughs> and then I slide back. <laughs> and then I, I come from that. the top and I'm like, heart, heart is <laughs> really cheesy. I am but so I learned that though. Like, it was a great way to just play and have fun and make something. And, uh, and then you got to learn. Right. And then when, when I would do intro teaching for, for some intro production for some of the classes that I would do, I would always end with a little bit of like, you could, you know, do some crazy stuff if you want. I'll just yeah. show you how to do it. And that's the thing I would do is I would show people it's like, so if you just take some little thing and clip it out, you can like make it come from the top or the bottom. Like no one would ever do this, but you mm-hmm. can have fun with it and just play around and make all kinds of weird stuff happen. And um, I had even done it with, we did a welcome video for the previous director of the film studies program, Ryan Friedman. And we put him on a white background, but before the white background, we shared in the office him of like in a volcano and then underwater and like all this other images. So- I love that. I think that a lot of people get hung up on like, they feel like if they're making something, it has to be a good piece. Like it has to be like an amazing piece for like a portfolio. But I feel like I've learned the best things from like making memes with my friends. And like, that's how I learned how to use Photoshop. And it's like, I feel like you need to have a lot of fun and just like joke around and play with it and make the most ridiculous or ugly things but that's how you learn to make the beautiful ones so I for sure I feel that yeah so so I think uh one question I, I really wanted to ask is you're doing this other stuff and um you know I know I know you've switched a little bit about what you're thinking is there anybody that you're watching like some artists some filmmakers anything specific you're getting into right now that that's really you know jiving with you or inspiring you to do what you're doing um Right now, I've been viewing a lot of viewing and reviewing things for my research thesis. So I can't say that, like, very recently I have. Um, but last semester, I did um, uh, take an avant-garde class at um, OSU. And there were lots of interesting filmmakers that I would have, like, alternatively um, never been subjected to just because it's a lot more difficult to you know like go to a museum in Manhattan to see a specific uh, type of show and um, there were some artists that I was really subjected to then that were really uh, quite beautiful like um, I've become really obsessed with uh, Jack Smith's work um, since then and then um, as of for working on for like kind of inspiration and like um, what I've been working on with like found footage type stuff, I've been looking a lot at like rewatching um, different Michael Haneke films because um, I'm very interested in um, how terrified he seems to be of the world being able to capture every moment um, digitally, and that's something I'm also very terrified of as it like I was saying before shaped my entire existence um 
And so that's the thing that I keep finding myself going back to and like rewatching like funny games or Benny's video. So. Cool. That's awesome. I mean, so if people haven't seen any of that stuff, now you got some names, people go check, <laughs> check us, check some of that out. I mean, that's the kind of thing, uh, the my handling stuff you're talking about, like those are the things that I want to watch, but I, I don't often watch because mm-hmm. that, that little bit of anxiety and paranoia about about that topic of things recorded and everybody's that's like one of my pet things that yeah. I'm, I'm a little like yeah I uh, as soon as the what is the uh, the Beauty and the Beast from Disney came out like back in the 90s yeah I, I felt like I was the beast like at the dinner table <laughs> like I always had this was a kid I had this really clumsy eating style and mm-hmm. I like would take my time to prep but then I would like make a mess eating yeah and I always felt like I, could, I just and I didn't have that good hand coordination and mm-hmm. so like I would miss a lot and drop things and and I felt like you know everybody's watching <laughs> drop <things laughs> all the porridge all over my face or whatever yeah uh, and that little bit of that little kernel like when I watch those kind of things, I just I'm just like, uh, like think you'll see me. I'll like put a pillow in front of my face. I'm yeah, like, uh, I think it's I don't know. I'm kind of I think in what I'm interested in the most about it is that I, I think the thing I'm most interested in with art in general is that I'm very exist like um interested in um art that is simultaneously beautiful and ugly, and I don't know if that has to necessarily be a medium or what, but I love that and in looking at works like that that explore what the digital age has done I think it really I don't know they're like my dad he was a person that like got the first consumer camera you could buy and was obsessed with recording every family get together so like I'll watch these tapes of family moments and like the only way I feel like I know these people who died decades ago are from those videos and like I feel like I know them now but at the same time it's also like the terrible things I've been able to like bear witness to because of the accessibility of filmmaking and distribution, um, like different events like 9-11 and those types of things, like I was saying before with my generation, um, I think it's a, a beautiful and ugly thing because it binds us and it allows anyone to be a filmmaker, but also it shows us terrifying things. So, Yeah, I totally, I, yeah, I totally get that love for the thing that's, like there's a beauty in... The, the ugliness of it or even just like the not well put together or um, the graininess or, you know, just mm-hmm. the, the, there's something in an intent to make that style that really, right. that really, really draws me in as well. Um, mm-hmm. it, um, you know, it's, but again, like it's yeah. the gra- aggressive avant-garde style yes. that we were educated on from the fifties right. and sixties where, people were really trying to, you know, jack up your eyeballs for yeah. lack of a layman's way of saying it. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, very, I mean, it's very aggressive and very raw in both positive and negative ways. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, so you mentioned your thesis there uh, yeah. that you're working on. Like, why don't you, why don't you tell us all a little bit about like how you're wrapping up your undergraduate here? Yeah, so I am uh, currently working on my research thesis. It's my third semester working on it. Um, While I am a film studies major, I like to study lots of different kinds of media. So I'm not strictly looking at true crime film, but it is a true crime thesis. Um, So I'm looking at um, pieces of literature, um, songs, shows, comic books. I'm kind of looking at a wide range of things. And um, the goal of my thesis is to look at how... um, we have how true crime film has always been a thing within film. It's always been a thing within pop culture, but it's arguably changed over time with all cinema and um, in what reasons and ways and in how um, our actual day-to-day lives of, again, looking at media and the digital age um, and going from a time to which um, in the seventies, whenever people were, Uh, dying to see a snuff film and we're making fake ones and marketing it as such to now whenever every day you see a new person being beaten to death by a police officer on Facebook. And that's um, a few decades and a lot of change. And um, I, it has done a lot for how we communicate and it's done a lot for what's expected of film. 
So that's largely what I'm looking at. Cool. Um, in that, have, you know, have you been looking at dramatizations of any of these things? Like you bring up the snuff film phenomenal thing. One of the one of our first movies me and Nikki had actually seen together was Eight Millimeter, which is, uh, you know, uh, that the whole point of that film is like there's the snuff film. Is it real? Is it not? Right. Um, and the drama that happens there. And then also, I'm just curious about, um, you know, looking at you keep saying in the '70s is like looking at how things like the the police procedural started mm-hmm. as almost a true life crime drama that because it was easy tv writing but now right. that has morphed to the point where like um there are genre like you don't even know the thing you're watching is actually a police procedural because it's right. a formulaic strategy of telling that story has become so prevalent in all of our film and television that you're watching some sci-fi show or some horror show and you're like this is totally a police procedural <laughs> right <laughs> But with mo with werewolves, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, it's. I think that crime in itself as a genre is very, very unique. But I think that true crime, especially, um, whether it being like we're trying to be as accurate as possible, or here's a very convoluted, um, ridiculous recreation of what it's like. I feel like um, true crime is really unique because it like. I don't know, it finds a way to borrow from so many different genres in itself as well. And um, like whenever you're talking about 8mm or Snuff or um, Cannibal Holocaust, films like that, um, that people believed were real Snuff films, if they believed they were watching like Cannibalism Happen or the Manson Murders, like um, I think it's very interesting that we had a point in time in which people were trying to market you can see actual terror and lives being lost and like it's such an everyday thing now and it's just um I don't know I feel like true crime film and television because god knows television saturated with true crime right now um it almost feels like it's had to become more insensitive in those recreations because they have to be like in your face because who's shocked by anything anymore and I think that that's one of the most interesting um, aspects about that personally. Yeah. So which one, what comes first, right? I mean, we have all this debate within film and media studies about like whether, like how much of an impact does the, the movement of genres actually influence society or society influencing that movement of those genres, mm-hmm. right? And where is that line? How do you cross it? And so, you know, with, with more of this like easy the, the the movement into crime and showing crime on television and not having a counterpart not mm-hmm. not having a lot you know we don't we don't really have a lot of like mr rogers of of you know primetime television necessarily we have like the the comedy the sitcom but it where's the counterpoint to that and right and so if it's with that saturation of that genre like has it has it not influenced society in a way that is making it making right. crime more prevalent, making us crave more excitement and and have more anxiety about crime than right. maybe we need to have? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. Yeah, I'm not sure either. And then I wonder a lot in what ways um, those things coexist with desensitization. Like, I feel like I've never been really desensed by like. A fiction film for the most part I don't know I'm a person that watches all kinds of things but um you know like whenever Janelle and I watch movies together I'll suggest a movie and she'll always ask me first thing like does an animal die in it because if so I'm not watching it <laughs> like um I'm not like very much a person where anything bothers me in a film um but uh in general is just a person who's interested in like bizarre things and working on this thesis I've like stumbled to parts of the internet where there are things I wish I had never seen where it's just like so easily accessible that I feel like it's impossible to not like draw conclusions between like um you know whenever we had people fawning over Mondo films to like the introduction like the introduction of shock sites so I feel like it's uh it's a really bizarre time and I don't know who's informing what but I think it's um it's a lot for a lot of people to bear witness to, um, especially with how technology has changed. Like 
the first real um, record that we have of actual on-screen murders, the Zapruder tape of JFK's assassination. And it's like interesting to talk to people older than me, like my parents, like they were alive when he was assassinated. They lived to see the Rodney King beating tape. They're seeing these people assaulted and murdered on the news. Like that's only a few decades. That's a person's not even full lifespan to experience all of those things and those changes and all of the craziness that can come from it. So I think we're connected in great ways, but we're also connected in ways where we can see anything terrible. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, that history of Vietnam kind of being the first televised war mm-hmm. being, I mean, we were filming it before, so I'm pretty right. sure that like a doc class or something, I know that you're taking a doc class, I don't know if they're showing like Battle of San Pietro, but that's like one of our first, like when I was a student, that was one of the first things that was World War II, and there was this really popular, like really well-made film that comes out of the We Will Fight. Um, mm-hmm. that a propaganda kind of documentaries about right. the battle. And, you know, you know, they had people in the army with cameras walking around, like filming films and making decisions right. about, about how to tell the story of this war. Mm-hmm. That, that is. Yeah. In our doc class, we did recently watch, um, is it the Spanish earth? And that had footage of actual war from like, just before World War II. And it was, um, yeah, very, very interesting to see. I mean, I, I hate the, I hate, this is a rough film and you got to be prepared to see it. But one of our biggest intros into this area is when we started to study new Latin cinema. And in the 70s, there was this huge push, a new wave of cinema after French new wave, new Latin cinema. And the kind of one of the manifesto pieces there was La Horos de las Monos, which is the hour of furnaces. And um, man, we were so blessed. Like I, we found a 16 millimeter copy of it at OSU that they had had. And uh, me and Nikki have seen this thing a dozen times. It's influenced a lot of things that we've done over the years. And this it's raw gorilla footage as if like somebody was following everybody around. Like somebody was in Louisville right now with a camera up close getting at the cops, getting at the protesters, people fighting. I mean, they were having in a lot of stuff. I mean, and then there's, you know, there's, I can't remember what film it is now because it's, it's blank and there's a handful, but there's one of them where it was, it was like basically the protester just gets shot by a cop. Like, and it's on right. part of this film. And you're, and it, it's, uh, right. seeing that is, it's just a very powerful thing. That's one thing that I've also been really interested in is that um, whenever we have documentary, I feel like in documentary and documentation, we often see um, those types of things, but I feel like we're expecting to see it. And then there's um, being strapped into social media and having access to all of the pure chaos that's happening anywhere in the world. But then um, I've been looking at a few things like um, the film Fruitvale Station, um, which at the end of the film, of course, shows the actual shooting footage of Oscar Grant by a police officer. And so there's this interesting middle ground that um, I admittedly have tough times, I don't know how to feel about it, of um, the commercialization of those types of footage, like pieces for, I mean, obviously for activism and awareness, but especially Black people watching these films, the constant trauma of seeing those things and um, the inability for the deceased to consent to, I wouldn't want uh, people to do a standing ovation for me being shot to death at Sundance. <laughs> so like, where does the ethics lie really? And how do we even have that conversation whenever most of the ability to do that is kind of unprecedented? Yeah. I I mean, I totally agree. It just sparks all kinds of conversations about Frederick Wiseman right. and his work. Because mm-hmm. he has one film in, an, in a mental institution where he thought he had approval to film all of these people. And then afterwards, the families kind of revolted and had mm-hmm. the film basically locked from society for like 30, 40 years. But right. no one could see it because they didn't think their, pe- the, their actual family that were in the institution could get permission. And then he turns around and he does it on the hospital system and he does it in high schools and he does it in the police force. Where he has just a film called Police, and he just right. he's like fly on the wall right in your face, and it was you know, the, I don't know, it's um, I don't 
there is a difference between that kind of filmmaker, I think, and the kind of filmmaker that's that's glamorizing it. Right. I think there's for certain a difference. And I think that there's, um, I think it's a conversation that like news media has uh, ignored for a long time. Um, like since like the introduction of like the 24 seven news cycle, like things haven't been the same really. It's been constant like fear mongering and what's get, like what gets views and like, is it ethical to show this and who really cares <laughs> um, is at least how it feels as a viewer um, with American news media. And I feel like it's a conversation that film is like just now in a way having to grapple with because I don't know, like in the days of like the seventies and eighties, it's not that those things didn't exist, but they were a lot more underground. You know, it's not like everybody was lining up to go see cannibal Holocaust, you know, it's like a more niche cult group. And so um, we didn't have to deal with it on as big of a level as we do now. So I think that that's a really interesting time for film to exist in. Yeah. I mean, I want to pivot point with like one quick thing is I don't know if you merit. So you wouldn't know this, but film studies at OSU, they used to do this thing where a student would select a film and write an essay. And then we would do a whole screening with the Wexner Center or someplace else. That's and cool. we, we had to then take a little bit more control over it because one year the best essay was for uh, Cannibal Holocaust. That's so cool. <laughs> and we were just like, we were like, that's oh, no. filmed of just like, <laughs> hey, everybody, come and celebrate the student that wrote this essay. <laughs> <laughs> I like not every that's I that's that's brilliant. I <laughs> I am very much a I love horror movies. I love B films. I love weird things that nobody wants to see that have been buried and that's my favorite thing. I I can't imagine anything greater than viewing Cannibal Holocaust in the Wexner Center. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. So I mean I apologize for everybody here. So like so I used to run the film study, I used to help run the film studies program at Ohio State and I actually was you know, I helped advise uh, for, for a little bit while I was still there until recently. So we have a little bit, you know, this is two film nerds. She come into my office and, and we just, we couldn't stop talking. She's like, I got to go to class. I'm like, yeah, no, I got, we emailed her. And, you know, we, we can't get a spiral on this stuff. So, yeah. Um, so I like to I love the weird bit. stuff. <laughs> um, switch gears a little bit and talk about, right. So, you know, you got this creative stuff that you want to do. You're talking about theatrical stuff and practical effects, but and then also writing and then these experimental art stuff. And you, you know, you got like a term left. You got, you know, what? I think we're at nine weeks or something. Um, <laughs> you know, do you have what's your plan? What, what have you given thought to your plans after the undergraduate education? I think this is a really important thing that people should hear. Yeah. Um, so I, in like January of this year I was looking at schools to apply for grad school or um, deciding if I wanted to do like exactly grad school if I wanted to do like a more specialized degree or like what exactly I wanted to study next but I knew I wanted to study something more and then um, the coronavirus hit and right now my main goal is to live until it is done um that's right now the dream because it seems absolutely mortifying right now um, it's a weird time to try to plan really anything because like you're looking at like, say grad school applications or something like that. And, um, it's like, oh, applying for school to go in like spring or like even fall semester. And it's hard to imagine like a week from now, how things will be, let alone a year from now. Um, and it's just very interesting to try and plan those future things. And I think that, um, I think that career searches are kind of, I don't know, in some ways, like it's better this kind of pandemic happening now than in like 1990 because of the internet access and the way that we're plugged in. But um, at the same time, I think that comes with new risks. Like I've applied to so many jobs and like so many of them have ended up to be scams in the long run, which is like a thing that, you know, people didn't have to worry about before. So I think it's um, a thing that you really have to like, uh, be an advocate for yourself and um people are constantly like saying like oh you should have a plan whenever you're graduating but I feel like I I mean I haven't graduated yet and I don't have a plan so I can't say this is foolproof I might end up going down a terrible path I doubt that but um I feel like it's really hard to have that right now and I feel like the most important thing is really just staying like mentally and physically safe and navigating that in whatever way you can and 
Um, who cares if you don't have a job in your field right now, as long as you have a job, if you need the money or just take a break, if you can afford that and take a breather because the world's just crazy. It seems like it's been a year, but also 10 years, but also half a year in this whole year. So it's a really weird time to try to adapt and learn. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I would completely agree with you there. And, um, you know, I think um, the important thing to know is, you know, not everybody, you know, you go and you get your degree and when you get out, maybe you don't do what you studied in your undergrad and, and that's fine. You change, you shift gears and people mm-hmm. should be okay with making that decision. Um, you know, I surely did like, I, I have done so many, I did so many jobs one year part-time that I could <laughs> not file taxes online through the state because <laughs> I had too many different employers. Like, crazy you just, you just do what you gotta do right you do what you gotta do and hopefully you you can find the balance in yourself you can find who you are and, yeah. and figure it out it's like some people i i mean maybe i told you this before and i mean is like some people um like to basically do for a living what they like to do um for themselves and some people they like to just kind of have a job that like they make the money they need to make they don't really need to care about it and then when they're at home with themselves in their own life, that's when they do what they like to do. And that's mm-hmm. a hard that's a hard thing to figure out who you are. Where, where are you at in that spectrum? I have a friend that like he didn't finish his undergrad and he 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 just works at one of those big box stores. And he's done that for years. Very talented right. guy. And he just never and it was because eh, I'm gonna work part-time at this big box store. I got insurance now, I can pay my bills. Right. And guess what? I've got all this time on my hands because I only work like 25, 30 hours a week and that's enough. I've created a discipline for myself and now I can just do whatever I want within reason to, to make this life happen. And, right. you know, I think that's where a lot of us are at right now is trying to figure out where are we at on that spectrum? How do we adjust to make that happen and stay happy and well and safe with ourselves? Right. I for sure agree with that. I feel like, um, we kind of are, especially in American culture, we're constantly told that our worth has to do with our productivity. And I call me a socialist, but I don't really quite agree. You know, I think that um, uh, people often chalk up their worth to having a dream job and not everybody dreams of labor. You can dream of a million other things, you know, Um, the fact that we all just have to be little slaves to pieces of paper and coins to make it through our lifetime doesn't have to necessarily be what gives you worth and meaning. And I think that um, lots of people are being forced to consider that now of like what they would be doing alternatively, or is there a job that they would maybe dreamt of going after? Because I think that also people are um, put in a point right now where there's been a lot of self Uh, consideration and introspection even if people don't want to do that and um, I don't think it's possible for us to exist in this time and for it to not change us from how we were prior to this time and I think that it's never too late or early for people to decide to do things um, be it career-wise or whatever I don't think that it's I don't think it can be because as long as you're not dead then you're not out of time yet right so might as well push for it (laughs) I'm totally quoting you on that. That's like the best quote I have heard. As long as you're not dead, you're not out of time. That's what my motto is. If I, I when I'm dead, I'll stop. <laughs> so until then, I think that's I think that's <laughs> motto. And I don't know. Have you, have you seen the GIF where there's like a carousel spinning and there's like a young girl in a tutu holding on, like being dragged in a circle? Yes. Yes. So we go. <laughs> Carousel, and I'm the little girl in the tutu holding up for life. I love that. <laughs> I love <laughs> it though. I mean, we get but a like, lot of stuff done, but man, she's the driving force. I'm yeah. the head. <laughs> like, I'm the literally somebody said, So, Matt, so you're the floating head that Dorothy sees, and Nikki's actually the one behind the curtain. I'm like, She makes all the magic happen. That's, that's why my head is so big. Like, it's <laughs> getting bigger the older I get. So, I love it though. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. I mean, uh, as, I mean, I know you're working on the scenes of the stuff. Is there any kind of other things coming up that you're excited about, or things that you're planning to do, or? You know, um. See, right now, in all honesty, I've been trying to 
avoid planning because I'm a very big, I'm a very big planner. I'm a person that has to plan things. Like I feel like I have to do X, Y, and Z and have everything planned out so it can go perfectly and have my life envisioned on a little board in the next five years. But I'm trying to be more chaotic and less planning with those things because of the uh, uncertainty of the world. And I have, um, I've, in the beginning of the pandemic, I had a lot of trouble with like, oh, this is crazy because, um, you know, everything just flips upside down so quick. And I remember reaching out to one of my professors about that. And I was like, do you have any like insights of like, how are you navigating this? Cause like you're running a class and I have to look out for all of these other people. And like, and she was saying that um, everything's always been this able to kind of crumble. And the fact that this is the first time I'm seeing it happen is kind of, that's kind of a good thing because like it could happen a lot more frequently than it does whenever you consider that really, only one we're only like one pandemic away from everything going crazy we're only one attack away from one thing going crazy and everything's always been this uncertain and we just have one specific thing to focus the energy on right now and so I've been um trying to avoid planning because I don't want to I'm, I'm a person who comes up with these grand images of things and then they don't turn out quite that way. I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So I'm trying to let this moment teach me that that's, that's impossible. Um, so I don't have a lot of things planned, but um, right now just trying to push through the rest of the semester and really focusing on my thesis because it's a topic that I've been very interested in for a long, long time. Um, I wrote a paper, my senior year of high school that's something very similar so it's been like a topic I've been really interested in for a long time so I really want to do it justice and write a really good piece that I'm proud of and then um so just considering what those options are for like next step education stuff as I see how the um climate seems to change and how things are handled so yeah cool awesome well I mean we're about you know, 48 minutes. So I'm, okay. this seems like a, this seems like a good place to wrap up. It, I mean, it's so great seeing you. It's been a little while since we've been able to catch I up. I know it feels like forever. We just need to start doing this weekly because <laughs> yeah, I like have like so many, like there are sometimes where I'll be watching a film and I'll just have like a film dork thought. And I'm like, is it okay to send Matt an email at 3 a.m. with this thought? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's cool. I mean, okay. hit me up, whatever. It's like, I mean, I, sure. I'm actually still the advisor for Film and Video Society and I actually okay. have a call with him at seven o'clock tonight. So, oh, okay. uh, you know, feel, you know, feel free to reach out at any time. And, for sure. uh, you know, it was so great hearing what you're doing and, uh, that yeah. you're staying safe and things are going well and that you're about to wrap up your degree. And, and I hope everybody watching today, like, you know, I, this is a very valuable insight. Um, I'm gonna have a little hard time getting a little of a clown, but like, you know, uh, these people are our future. <laughs> like, um, and I hope that, you know, we can just get out of all this. So um, I'm kind of happy that we're all young enough for us that are. I still feel like I'm young enough. Like she said, I'm not, I'm not done because I'm not dead. So um, we should all make some positive change in this world. We can all do some great things. Let's make some great art. Let's, let's, make, let's write some stuff. Let's put some stuff out there. Let's stamp this time with what's important and what the human race means. Right? And so with that, <laughs> try to get out of that there a little bit. Um, the Columbus Moving Image Art Review is actually coming up. A little bit self-promotion here. Um, the deadline's this Sunday to submit stuff. Um, we already got a handful of submissions, but there's always room for more. And so if people have things they want to submit, little things they're working on, something small. Like last time, one of our friends, he did it, He submitted his first piece, uh, Matt Yoho, called Fireflies. And it's just uh, – he had looked out on his porch, there's all these fireflies, and he just made up this funny little skit about being a firefly farmer and that he was going to take them down to market and he hopes that <laughs> they sell well. And But he doesn't know right now with the current climate. And it's like, I was like, that is just, we need that right now. So we've all got cameras in our pockets. We've all got things we can do to create and express ourselves. Let's do that. Let's, let's stamp this time with who we are so that people can remember what we went through. So thank you very much, Jay, for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I got so excited whenever you had messaged and asked about it. So 
I love seeing that you guys are still making things to keep people inspired and in tune in the community. Cause I think that that's one of the things about the work that you guys do is like, I never felt at home as a like filmmaker in Columbus until I did Columbus moving image art review. It's, it's an important thing that you guys do. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's, that's an amazing thing to hear. Um, you know, we don't often do a lot of feedback sessions or anything like that. And so it's been really amazing. I have to thank Eric and CG2 for the last two episodes. It's really meant a lot to, us to hear from all of you who participated, like how much it meant to you, the work that we do. Because, you know, a lot of people may not know if you're getting to this show for the first time, Columbus Moving Image Art Review. We've been doing it for 10 years. It is We do it four times a year. It's a screening event of local you know, surrounding area, film, animation, narrative, documentary, you name it. It uses light. It moves. We will try to show it at some point somehow. And uh, we don't bear, we don't bar genre. We don't bar type. We don't, we basically, you send us the work. We watch the work. We make a show and that's it. There's, there's no real other rules. And we try to show as much as we can by whoever we can. Um, and uh, there, it's completely free, free to submit, free to attend, to attend. Not a dime changes hands. So you're talking about socialist structures here, the things that all the papers and coins. Yes. Like that no is our mission. <laughs> our mission is no papers and coins. Because guess what happens then? I'm just gonna put this out there. As soon as I have to charge admission, and I, you know, I, I, I give credit to everybody out there that's running these places and these organizations and they're 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 providing these services in a way that of course we can't. Uh, it, with the Columbus Movie Image Art Review. But as soon as I have to start charging ticket prices and I have to start charging fees for people to submit is the moment where I decide who wins and who loses, who's good and who's bad, and whose creative art is an expression is actually worth more than somebody else's. And I'm sorry, that's not who I am. I, will, I, I believe that all creative expression is valid and important to the world. And, you know, I could put cool, I told a TA once when she told me I didn't write poetry, I said, I, I may not write good poetry, but I attempt to write poetry. So if I put Kool-Aid in my mouth and swirl it up and spit it on a white wall and stain <laughs> the wall, yeah, that may be pretty bad art, but I'm going to call it art because guess what? We just duct tape a banana to a wall and somebody sold that, right? <laughs> I mean, come on. So anyways, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks again everybody thanks for tuning in thank you for the reese brothers and uh and nikki for putting this show on uh the next week is going to be the ohio art league uh is going to be coming in and uh i believe right now we have uh, daniel colvin the current new program uh manager for the ohio art league will be interviewing the the prominently hilarious and talented barb vogel I'm super excited to watch this show. If you don't know Barb Vogel, I, I'm so blessed to know her. So everybody, I hope you tune in next time. Thank you very much. Everybody be safe. See you later. <laughs>